It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 393 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo Community Podcast. This episode is called Paid Holiday. It is January 13, 2023, and this is Jen. So what is that paid holiday? Well, the Diablo Twitter account can tell you all about it. The Diablo account wrote today, Friday the 13th is a paid holiday in hell. Hashtag Friday the 13th, which I thought was extremely silly. And people were posting like images from the uh, Friday the 13th movies and all this other stuff. So it's kind of fun, but it just cracks me up. It's like, well, Friday the 13th is a paid holiday in hell. I mean, it's just, it just seemed kind of funny. Uh, last episode, we talked a little bit about the pay ranges from, I think it was Activision, Blizzard, Riot, and I can't remember what the other one was, but the only one that's in California, I think, is Activision, Blizzard. So I looked up, because before it was like, okay, this company has a range from this number to that number, that company over there has a range from a two, for two different numbers, and then Activision Blizzard had this really wide range for what you get paid for different things. So I looked it up. There's a website called Cal Matters. It's a California website, and if you don't know what's going on and you live in California and you want to find out, this is where you go. They explain things really, really well. So this article was actually posted on December 21st of 2022. It's titled, Here's What You Need to Know About California's New Pay Transparency Law. So here's a little bit from that. Starting on January 1st, employers with at least 15 workers will have to include pay ranges in job postings. Employees will also be able to ask for the pay range for their own position, and larger companies will have to provide more detailed pay data to California's Civil Rights Department than previously required. California isn't the first state to force businesses to put their cards on the table. Other states include Colorado, New York City, Washington State, uh, and a bill in New York was just signed by the governor for the same kind of transparency. The goal of the California law is to reduce gender and racial pay gaps. Uh, But New York City's had a bumpy start, yada, yada. I'm going to skip some of that over because I'm talking about California specifically here. But since California has nearly seven times as many people as Colorado, according to a U.S. Census data, excluding Californians in a remote job listing would come at a higher cost. What's the pay range? Here's what California job seekers can expect to see more frequently come January. $44 an hour to be a plumber in Berkeley. $18.38 to $28.51 an hour for an assistant teacher job in Los Angeles, $74,600 to $141,000 per year for a future compensation analyst in Davis. If companies aren't adding ranges, people can sue 
or file a complaint with the Labor Commissioner's Office, which can issue a penalty of $100 to $10,000 per violation. Companies that don't have to pay ranges and job postings won't get penalized for their first violation so long as they add the information. In addition to preparing to post pay ranges in job listings, companies that don't already have pay bans for current employees should put them in place, and they should make sure that there aren't pay disparities based on race, sex, or other protected classes between employees doing substantially similar work. So that's something to know from that. Businesses are about to have their pay scrutinized by job candidates and employees, uh, said a person working um, under the uh, compensation platform company a co-founder of some company that does that. This person says, you'd better make sure you have a really strong answer for why an employee is paid less than the posted range for a similar looking job, she said. The new California law is uncovering that a lot of organizations have been operating without pay bans. Many of the company's earliest customers were tech and biotech businesses, said this person, last name Wallace. But since the bill was signed into law, she's seen increased interest from other sectors, including manufacturing and utilities. The California law explains the required pay scale as the salary or hourly wage range that the employer reasonably expects to pay for the position. Uh, There's a lawyer here that says it's really ambiguous. CalMatters reached out to the Labor Commissioner's Office, which is charged with enforcing the pay scale component of the law. The office didn't make anyone available to be interviewed, so oh well, right? That's where that's going to go. They have to report the pay data. Here's a There's a graphic here showing the difference in pay between men and women across different industries. The thing I was talking about in the previous show with Activision Blizzard putting this enormous pay range on, I think it was working for something in Diablo 4, they had to do this. They didn't do this because they wanted to do this. Most companies would really, really like to keep people in the dark about how much money they should be getting in comparison to their co-workers who might be getting more because they're male or because they're white or because the person making the rules on who gets how much money liked that person better than the other. Previous to you know having to actually post how much the range is, companies nationwide could get away with being incredibly discriminatory about pay raises and how much money people get based on who they are. So that's not how it should be. It should be, this is the the pay rate for this position and this is what you should get. So that's kind of why three companies across the United States decided to go ahead and put some ranges in there. But I do think that if you're just putting this ginormous range of pay, I don't think that enables workers for, say, Activision Blizzard to really understand where they are in that range. It's like they're trying to hide it or make it hard for people to compare. And I don't like that at all, but that seems to be what's happening. Going back also to Proletariat, who has been working on their union, the Communication Workers of America posted this uh, January 5th. Proletariat slash Activision. Last week, a supermajority of workers at Activision Blizzard's Proletariat Studio announced that they were forming the Proletariat Workers Alliance slash CWA 
and have filed for a union representation election with the National Labor Relations Board. Prior to filing for an election, the workers asked that management voluntarily recognize their union and respect their right to organize without retaliation or interference. The company has not said whether or not they will recognize the union. The proletariat workers are the third group of Activision Blizzard workers to file for a union representation election with CWA. The 57 workers in the unit include animators, designers, engineers, producers, and quality assurance workers. Earlier this year, quality assurance workers at Activision's Raven Software Studio in Wisconsin and Blizzard Albany won their union elections despite Activision Blizzard's repeated attempts to prevent workers from voting. So there's that one. And then there's ZeniMax, and they're at Microsoft. So I'll read you a little bit about ZeniMax. More than 300 quality assurance QA workers at ZeniMax Media, a video game maker owned by Microsoft, have secured union representation after a supermajority indicated they wish to join ZeniMax Workers United slash CWA, either by signing a union authorization card or voting via an online portal. Microsoft honored its stated labor principles and immediately recognized the union after the results were certified by an independent arbiter. So that's pretty cool. This is the first studio at Microsoft to secure union representation and the largest group of union-represented QA testers at any U.S. game studio. So that's pretty cool, you know, getting what, what you want. Then there's an article here, or a post here, from Proletariat itself, from January 9th. It's titled, Everyone Deserves a Vote. On December 27, 2022, the Communications Workers of America, CWA, filed a petition to exclusively represent a number of proletariat's employees as part of their union. Since then, we have come to understand that many of our employees prefer to have an anonymous vote. To that end, we filed our formal position to the National Labor Relations Board, NLRB, earlier today, that today was uh, January 9, and requested an anonymous voting process to take place. Besides being the fairest option, this also allows employees to get all the information and various points of view. This is an important decision. Everyone deserves some time to process it and to better understand its potential impacts. The proletariat leadership is and has always been pro-worker. In fact, the proletariat name was inspired by the founders' dissatisfaction as workers in the industry. They wanted everyone to share in the success and ownership of the studio and to be treated fairly. That included everyone from the most senior to first-time developers, regardless of if they were a manager or an individual contributor across the full range of disciplines that made up the company. For the past 10 years, we've worked hard to build a great place to work, and we're often told by employees who leave, stay, or return that this is the best place they've ever worked. Our top priority right now is to keep our employees informed and educated, and proletariat leadership is committed to having voluntary open discussions with the team members about what is happening. We will support all team members in the lead-up to and through the voting process signed the proletariat leadership team. Code underscore CWA, which is Campaign to Organize Digital Employees in the Tech, Games, and Digital Industries, wrote a thread on Twitter on January 10th. This is what they wrote. In response to Proletariat underscore Inc., that's the Proletariat Twitter 
account name, leadership's blog in which it declined to voluntarily recognize the supermajority of the We Are PWA slash CWA signed cards, plus force the union to vote with the NLRB. Proletariat workers have released a statement, and it looks like they have mostly... Okay, I'll just read it to you because it is slightly different from what I just read to you a minute ago. Quote, our proletariat leadership and upper management at Activision have refused our request to talk about neutrality and are forcing us through an NLRB election, even though a supermajority of our bargaining unit have signed union cards, and that is not pro-worker. Quote, their actions this week have been right out of the union-busting playbook used by Activision and so many others. Management held a town hall last week, which disappointed many of our workers. Quote, the meeting was inappropriate due to its anti-union influence and happened to be the same day that at ZeniMax workers, that's their Twitter name, announced their recognition, a fair and free union representation election held under a neutrality agreement that included an option for anonymous voting. Quote, we can decide for ourselves if we want a union. We don't need help from management. We need and deserve respect and neutrality. We want to do right by our team and collaborate with management without contention. And you can read more on the We Are PWA CWA's fight. And I think I have an article on that. Possibly coming up, but if not, I'll go back to this one. Polygon has an article, which uh, might include some of this. It talks a little bit about proletariat unions. So this is titled, World of Warcraft Support Studio to Form Third Union Under Activision Blizzard. Proletariat's union will include all non-management workers. So here's from the article. As two unions under Activision Blizzard move forward into contract negotiations, a third subsidiary studio is organizing. Workers at Boston-based World of Warcraft support studio Proletariat are unionizing under the Communications Workers of America, just like Raven Software and Blizzard Albany before them. Proletariat's group of 57 workers, which includes all of the studio's positions except management, is called Proletariat Workers Alliance. They announced their petition in late December. Activision Blizzard has not responded to the request for voluntary, voluntary recognition. Proletariat Workers Alliance is looking to secure the company's current paid time off plan, as well as flexible remote options, health care benefits, and ensuring transparency and diversity are top priorities. Quote, our top priority remains our employees, and we value the contributions the talented proletariat team has made since joining Blizzard this summer, an Activision Blizzard spokesperson said in a statement issued to Polygon on Friday. Now, I've noticed... It's always an Activision Blizzard spokesperson, never a name. So you can't track down this person to ask them anything, which is garbage in my opinion. The uh, nameless spokesperson said, We received the petition over the holidays and will provide a response to the NLRB next week. Here's a little bit more. Quote, at Proletariat and with our peers across the industry, many of us love our jobs, Proletariat senior engineer Dustin Yost told Polygon. We at Proletariat care a lot about our team. We want to make sure we have a real voice in our future in order to have a positive impact on our company for the benefit of our team, our company, and anyone enjoying the content we create. Doing right by each other is the goal here. 
With Activision Blizzard's recognition of the union pending, Proletariat Workers Alliance will likely have will likely go to a vote with the National Labor Relations Board, the same process that both Raven Software and Blizzard Albany's QA union, unions went through. Activision Blizzard challenged the election in both studios' cases and sought to expand the proposed bargaining unit beyond QA testers. So there's a pattern here with Activision Blizzard, which is to squash any attempt to unionize, and that's just terrible overall for everyone involved. You could just let them do it. Microsoft did. What the heck? Companies sometimes fight to expand the size of a unit to water down union organization efforts to increase the probability of a union vote failing. But an NLRB ruling in 2022 made it easier for organizers to unionize smaller groups within a company called micro-units, which puts the onus on a company to provide overwhelming evidence that a group should be opened up. And it goes on from there for a little bit, but you get the idea. It's just, you know, Activision Blizzard being Activision Blizzard again. There's an article here from gamesindustry.biz written by Brendan Sinclair titled Activision Blizzard Refuses to Acknowledge Proletariat Union. The little blurb says, Proletariat Workers Alliance already has the support it needs, but company wants employees to have, quote, time to process it and to better understand its potential impacts. That's union garbage speak for, we're going to make sure other people in this company don't want you to have that. We're going to poison the well. That's basically what they're trying to do. So here's a little bit from this article. It talks about the note posted to the Proletariat Games blog which I think I just read to you. And uh, let's see, what was the date on this one? This one was January 10th, so just a couple days ago. Let's see. So Activision Blizzard is refusing to voluntarily acknowledge an employee union at its proletariat game studio, as revealed in the note that I read you. I'm going to skip over that part because I think we just heard it. Uh, To continue, the proletariat employees first announced their intent to organize late last month, and then it mentions Raven Software and Blizzard Albany forming their unions. Uh, Last week, Microsoft's uh, ZeniMax Studios did, and so that's basically the summary of what's in that one. And speaking of Microsoft, we have an article from Ars Technica from January 6th of this year titled, Microsoft admits it should not have argued the FTC is unconstitutional, which is a banger of a headline. I mean, why would you do that, you know? Microsoft's case for Activision Blizzard merger leans more on market shares now from Kevin Purdy wrote this. Microsoft has amended its response to the Federal Trade Commission suit trying to halt a $69 billion purchase of Activision Blizzard, no longer claiming the FTC is unconstitutional by nature and denying the company its Fifth Amendment rights. David Cuddy, public affairs spokesperson for Microsoft, told Axios' Stephen Totillo that the company, quote, put all potential arguments on the table internally and should have dropped these defenses before we filed. The FTC has an important mission to protect competition and consumers, and we quickly updated our response to omit language suggesting otherwise based on the Constitution, Cuddy told Axios. Microsoft's original Federal Trade Commission response, there's a link to a PDF in this article if you'll want to go track that down, stated that proceedings against Microsoft were invalid, quote, because the structure of the commission as an independent agency that wields significant executive power and the associated constraints on removal of the commissioners and other commission officials violates Article 2 of the U.S. Constitution and the separation of powers, 
end quote. Another point claimed that the use of an, an administrative law judge rather than a typical judge with a lifetime appointment was an article, a, vi- a violation of Article 3. Bra- building on those claims, Microsoft had also claimed that the FTC's procedures, the nature of its administrative proceedings, and the commission having purportedly, quote, prejudged the merits, end quote, of its case. Microsoft's rights to due process under the Fifth Amendment were violated. What an argument. (laughs) What an argument. Microsoft's amended response, also a PDF, removes the constitutional claims from its counter-arguments. It sticks to the software giant's broader claims that acquiring Activision would not lock down gaming subscription services or cloud gaming services, that it has made offers to license games like Call of Duty to Nintendo, Valve, and other platforms, and that the FTC's claims are too speculative and not actionable. Activision, which made identical arguments about its constitutional rights under FTC investigation and procedure in its initial response, will also drop that aspect, according to Axios. This is kind of ridiculous overall, but it's just kind of a thing there. Um, And it's still going through different governments in different countries as to who's going to say yeah that's a great thing do it to no you should never do that kind of thing and who knows how long this is going to take the verge has an article titled microsoft is running an ad in the washington post to say that it's cool with unions and this is written by jay peters on january 6th Microsoft has been going out of its way to encourage regulators to approve its proposed $68.7 billion deal for Activision Blizzard, and in its latest move, the company is running an ad in the Washington Post. Spelling out the tech giant's acceptance of unions, the ad is co-signed by the Communication Workers of America, CWA, which represents workers in industries like communications and media. Quote, as we enter a new year, we remain committed to creating the best workplaces we can for people who make a living in the tech sector, the beginning of the ad reads. Quote, when both labor and management bring their voices to the bargaining, bargaining table, employees, shareholders, and customers alike benefit. Microsoft also acknowledged the new ZeniMax Media Union, which it formally recognized this week, as well as the labor neutrality agreement it stuck with the C- it struck with the CWA in June. Quote, During 2023, we hope to bring the same agreement and principles to Activision Blizzard, which Microsoft has proposed to require Microsoft rights in the ad. The ad is appearing about a month after the Federal Trade Commission, FTC, sued to attempt to block Microsoft's Activision Blizzard purchase. In its original response to the suit, uh, we've already gone over the constitutional things from the other articles, so it's basically the same thing. There is a copy of this in the Verge's article if you want to just see what they posted as an ad on the Washington Post. And uh, yeah, there's that. Moving into some actual stuff about Diablo games, which I do try to get to every show. If there is stuff, sometimes there's not, but this time there is. So there is a post for Diablo 2 called Season 3 Ladder Reset Timing Update. This was posted on January 12th. It's written by Pez Radar Community Manager, and he wrote this. Hello all, Happy New Year. We have seen a good amount of questions related to ladder reset timing for S3. Season 3. Ladder start times are always important to know in advance for D2, so we wanted to provide a quick update. For D2R, 
Diablo 2 Resurrected. We are expecting Ladder Reset for Season 3 to begin sometime in mid-February. We will share more specifics with the community once we have confirmed dates in the coming weeks. Hoping this helps with scheduling for some. For now, we will be following up with more info soon. So that's, uh, that's that. If you're intending to play that, it sounds like you're going to be waiting until February. Diablo Immortal added something today called Discover Good Fortune in Tong Shi's Renewal. And there's this lovely picture of different types of armor you could get for your character. Uh, Happy Lunar New Year Adventurer. We cannot wait for you to wish blessings upon your friends in the Tong Shi's Renewal Lunar Year New Year event. Test out potent builds with a fresh batch of 36 legendary items and more. Due to the upcoming holiday, we will not be releasing a content update in two weeks and will instead release our next content update about three weeks from now. This content update is a real firecracker, so without delay, let's dig in. There will be server maintenance starting on January 15th from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. PST for Oceania, China, East Asia, Southeast Asia, and Europe servers, and on January 16th from 2 a.m. or 12 a.m. to 2 a.m. PST for servers in the Americas. So here's some stuff that this is going to be about. There are 36 new legendary items coming. With a greater challenge comes access to truly powerful items designed for beating back the tides of hell. Note that the below legendary items are only available in hell difficulty 4 or higher. We are making this change to the new legendary items that are added into Diablo Immortal to give players unique rewards to strive towards as they move upward in hell difficulty. Currently, I think I'm playing in hell 1. I'm not sure. Might be hell 2, but I'll get there if I try hard enough i guess play some more you know so they've split this out by classes so whatever class you're playing you can look and see what these are it looks to be about six items for each class that's coming up if if you can get into the high enough difficulty level to get those things there's also a legendary essence extraction method that's happening and you can enhance your legendary attributes to increase their power by extracting the same essences multiple times. Legendary equipment can no longer be salvaged at the blacksmith and instead must be extracted. That's interesting because before you could do that. You could have the blacksmith wherever you are just get rid of those things for you but now it's actually you got to get an essence extraction instead um i think when you find a new legendary item your first extraction will pull out the legendary essence and store it for you to inherit later as it always has further extractions will grant you essence energy to increase your essence mastery level however extracting essence energy from a particular legendary item will become more difficult with each essence energy you obtain from it and eventually you will no longer be able to extract the energy from that legendary item Then we have dungeon set item drops. All dungeons will now drop a guaranteed set item after many dungeon completions in a row that did not result in a set item being dropped. Dungeons boosted by the codex have a lower threshold before a guaranteed set item is dropped. There's going to be cross-server dungeons. There's some system improvements. Immortals will now receive more information about the shadows when alerted to defend the vault. Immortal parties in the queue will see the shadow party that has queued to defend against them, along with the relative strength of the shadow party versus their party. The party leader of the immortal group will then be able to decide to either accept defending against the shadow party or pass, which will give another immortal party in the queue 
the opportunity to defend. Immortal party leaders can also automatically pass all shadow parties that are relatively stronger than their party by enabling a new button in the Defend the Vault interface. That's interesting. So that's going to give the Immortals, which, you know, it's Diablo Immortal. I guess the Immortals are like the big, you know, that's what you want to be. Uh, it's not something I've tried <laughs> um, at all yet, but you can. So it looks like they can grab the advantage from from this battle by simply saying, okay, that group over there of, of Shadow Party there, that one's too big for us, so we're not going to try. We'll let somebody else do that one, and we'll pick one that we can beat up quicker, I think is what the idea is, but... We'll see. And then there's this. And I think I'm going to like this. It says, Rejoining the Shadows faction. We are making the experience of rejoining the Shadows after a new cycle of strife begins easier. The lottery system has been replaced with a first-come, first-served system. An adventurer who successfully signs up during one of the three daily recruitment periods beginning at 1, 7, and 10 p.m. server time can instantly embark to the trial to become a Shadow. To join the Shadows faction, speak with the mysterious patron, which I've been doing over over and over because they keep sort of taking it away from me uh, located in Westmarch Wolf City Tavern during the above mentioned recruitment periods there's a treasure hunter paragon tree that's going to have some differences to it uh, battleground end of season ceremony when a battleground season ends players will now receive a summary of their previous battleground season the first time they talk to the battleground captain wherever that person is converting adventurer clan to a dark clan will now only cost five akaba's signets New Resonance Wings. Two new sets of Resonance Wings have been added at the Resonance Milestones of 2000 and 4000. Then we have Tong Shi's Renewal Lunar Year event. And it's um, got some daily tasks and some gifts and server progress. So I guess this is a thing that you can participate in across server-wide. Um, it's going to start on January 16th. And it is uh, through February 6th. Players can compete in up to three tasks a day to earn festive rewards such as red bags and Tysium. I don't know what Tysium is. I guess we'll find out. Players can also receive rewards such as the Divine Framework of Jansai Portrait Frame with a bang emoji for logging in on the following days. January 18, January 21, 22, 25, 28, 29, February 1, 4, and 5. If you miss a login reward for one of these dates, don't worry. You'll be given a quest to complete which will provide you with the missed reward once finished. So that's pretty cool. Red bags are celebratory Tong Shi renewal rewards that can be gifted to a friend. You'll not only receive rewards when you open red bags sent to you, but you'll also receive rewards for sending red bags to friends. Spread the blessing of Tong Shi's renewal by sending and receiving as many bags as you can get your hands on. Completing daily event tasks can also yield Tysium. Turn in any Tysium you receive with the Tong Shi's Renewal Event UI to receive ample rewards. Turning in Tysium has a second effect too. Each Tysium will add toward server-wide milestones, with each milestone met rewarding all players on that server with a bevy of battle points. Players who contribute 88 Tysium will also receive a random legendary item for their class. There's a Lineage of Beasts cosmetic set, which I assume you need. Yeah, you have to have 1,000 Eternal Orbs in order to pay for that thing. It looks kind of cool, but that's it comes at a cost. There's also Season 9 Battle Pass Wicked Wanderer. There's an interesting set piece with that. And, like, the whole set is 
really like dark and creepy and they're showing specifically i think what must be a demon hunter in that cosmetic preview uh the wicked wanderer a new battle pass devoted to commuting communing with your sinister side has skulked into diablo immortal and with it the season 9 battle pass on january 19 at 3 a.m server time this battle pass hosts 40 ranks worth of challenges and rewards um, it's going to run until February 16. There's a Fractured Plane limited time event. I think we've had that one before. Uh, Chaos Coins and Gems and things like that. Hungering Moon. I think we've all at least attempted to do that one. And that's about it for that. And the last thing I'm going to talk about on this show is another tweet from the Diablo Twitter account. This one is about a piece of art. So they wrote Diablo 4 concept art by Victor Lee and they put a flame emoji after that. Quote, this piece was designed to convey immense age and the feeling of an endless, inescapable, three-dimensional maze. And there's uh, possibly a barbarian standing there. Could be a crusader, but it might be a barbarian. It's kind of hard for me to tell from this picture. But he's standing on stairs that just stop at some point, And there's just, like, smoke and darkness underneath and it would make you feel like you're in an inescapable three-dimensional maze because things are just stopping at weird points and you don't know how to get out, I think. Um, it looks really super cool, and I'm glad that they highlighted it. And not only that, they put Victor Lee's name and concept artist, which is his title, on that piece of artwork as well. So I think that's cool because you should always, always, always say who the artist is if you're going to post it on social media, and it's not your creation specifically. Now, with the Diablo account, they probably didn't have to do that, but it's nice that they did. And that's where I'm going to end this show. You have been listening to episode 393 of the Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. Come join us in-game. Our in-game community and clan, both named Shattered Soulstone, are open to anyone who would like to join. You can also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page, as well as the Shattered Soulstone website. Thank you for listening.